Welcome to the next episode of the Oscar Rewind Podcast. We're here to discuss two more films from the 1994 Oscar year to discuss the 1993 films. I'm your host, Quentin Phillipson, and to break down two more films from this group of nominations, we have Andrea. How are you doing today? I am well. I am well. Yes. Just chilling like a villain. Chilling like a villain? Yeah. And that is going to be The Piano and The Fugitive. Both films start with an article and end with one word to describe the film. And this one being The Piano, which, you know, I guess we've discussed titles over all these films so far. We had a bit of an issue with In the Name of the Father. You know, I'm thinking it was a little too cheeky here, but I think The Piano is a really good title. What about you? You mean it's good for, like, what the story's about? But, like, it is a little basic. <laughs> oh, well, all right, all right. A little basic over here. Interesting. All right. So, for the piano, uh, the last few films that we discussed being in the re, uh, the Remains of the Day and In the Name of the Father, both of them walked away with zero wins, and that is not going to be the case for this one. This one did walk away with a few wins, but did not end up walking away with the best picture title. It, this film was nominated for cinematography, costume, directing, editing, and of course, best picture. It didn't win any of those, but it did walk away with the wins for lead actress, supporting actress, and original screenplay. So the piano right off the bat dethroned both of Emma Thompson's nominations for lead actress and supporting actress. It did end up going to both the ladies of the piano. What are your thoughts on the film, Andrea? Like, it's good. Like, it just, I'm a little salty. I had to watch it again because we had previously watched this. I don't feel like this is a super rewatchable movie. Once you've seen it once, that's all you really need to see it. Yeah, the story was good. The acting was good. How they tied everything together with, like, how obsessed she is with the piano fit um yeah overall it, it, it was good i just didn't think i needed to watch it twice the title is called the piano and the lead character played by holly hunter does have an obsession with the piano and so i do wonder if there was a movie based on your life andrea would the movie title be the pumpkin spice latte could be <laughs> could, could be, be. yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> would, would that be a good title sure yeah, we'll, I'll be fine with it. You did say the title for the piano is basic, and uh, would the pumpkin spice latte be a little basic? Yeah, but a lot of people like pumpkin spice no, lattes, true. and not a lot of people like pianos. <laughs> oh, you're saying, saying there's a big uh, hatred out there for the pianos out there. I definitely guarantee if you made a poll, more people would li- uh, vote for pumpkin spice lattes instead of pianos. Mm, that's true i guess it depends if you get like the theater kids involved they're pretty pro pianos but you know a lot of people out there do like the pumpkin space latte it also depends on the time of year right uh you can play the piano all year long you can only have the pumpkin space latte for like two months and that's why it's special <laughs> that's why all right well you can only see this movie twice so we, we've really seen it it must be pretty special we haven't seen it that much when you can only re-watch something once it typically means it's like good but like in a boring way <laughs> good in a boring way it's so like a slow burn like sometimes you can only watch slow burn movies once and that's it because they're a slow burn all right so for the piano we'll kind of discuss the film as we go along here i'm sure most of you have probably seen this i feel like this is a pretty well regarded film at least more than the last two films we discussed. Uh, you know, this one might not be as well known as Schindler's List, but probably on the group of five films here, this is probably the second most watched. That'd be my guess, at least, right? Yeah, but I'll be honest, I would never have watched this if it wasn't for someone in the film club picking it. Or this podcast. It really would have been a first-time watch. Well, yeah, but, like, this is what we do on this podcast. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, force ourselves to watch them. Yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I guess the piano has a bit of a, a bit of a reputation, a bit of fondness by a lot of people that love film. But yeah, I guess outside of really the the film 
you know, outside of the film discord, there's probably not that many people seeking out the piano unless, I guess if The Power of the Dog was your favorite film of last year, that and that, and that was a pretty well-respected film on Netflix. If anybody was looking, okay, what else has this director made? This is easily her biggest film. So this is probably one that people might have checked out last year, but, you know, I'm not really counting on it. Maybe, but, like, I definitely think Power of the Dog is better than this. Uh, yeah, this is definitely something we can discuss during the podcast here. I also believe I like The Power of the Dog more. And I've seen The Power of the Dog only once, and I've seen this one twice. Um, so, I, I you know... I, I, I mean, it's kind of what Gene Keithy is good at, is to slow burn films. The only difference is... I think I could rewatch Power of the Dog one more time before I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> but I might wait like a couple years before I rewatch it, but it's good. Yeah, I actually would love to rewatch The Power of the Dog soon. Um, I might just wait till it's on Criterion. It's coming out in Criterion in a few months. I might just wait and pick it up then because uh, they, they have a few special features on there. So I might pick it up eventually because I do think The Power of the Dog is probably more rewatchable. Uh, yeah, if we didn't have this podcast, I don't know when I would have eventually seen The Piano. I might have eventually rewatched this because I was interested to see how it would hold up on a rewatch. Because, you know, I wasn't the biggest fan of this film on the first watch. And so I, and I, I've heard this is regarded as a very strong film in the 90s. They actually just released, I don't know if you know this, Andrea, but online... Uh, a pretty well-regarded news article released the top 100 films of the 1990s where they ranked the 100 best films of the decade and there's a lot of discourse in and a lot of directors and actors jumped in and made their own top 10 list just for fun where's that i want to see it yeah, yeah i can show you the list uh the piano is up on there uh p the piano is on the top 100 list and it's kind of an interesting list. It's very much a list to kind of put, you know, to kind of propel films that might not have been seen by the zeitgeist that isn't as well known. Of course, you got like Titanic and Fargo and stuff on there, but, you know. Yeah, I want to do a Titanic watch soon again. It's well, been a very long time since I've seen that. Hey, maybe we'll do that year next. Who knows? Is that one of the years that we have currently? Nope. Well, then I don't think it's going to be so. Well, you're, you're adding a new year to the list, right? You might add that year. You know what else is on that year? I feel like it's going to be like one of the Lord of the Rings or no. Harry Potter. I don't know. No, come on. Uh, Titanic came out in the late 1990s, right? Uh, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter was early 2000s. No, uh, Good Will Hunting. I don't know where we're going down this rabbit hole now, but, uh, you know, on the topic. I lost every single award to Titanic. Titanic swept once again, right? It's similar to this, right? We loved In the Name of the Father. We love Remains of the Day. They got nothing because of Schindler's List. Yep. Let me tell you, uh, Good Will Hunting, every single time I watch it, I go, oh my God, the screenplay, this is the best screenplay ever. Did it win? No, Titanic stole it. <laughs> oh my God. I absolutely love the score. Did it win? No, Titanic stole it. Like every single, no <laughs> every nomination uh, went to Titanic for that year, which, you know, uh, makes sense. Titanic was... An absolute behemoth of a film. It was loved. So for The Piano, uh, those that have not seen it, um, we'll try to keep spoilers brief. I actually don't think there's a whole lot to spoil, except for maybe a, you know, a small moment right at the end. But we'll, we'll kind of keep it spoiler-free. So you can listen to it, make your own decision if you want to check this film out. Uh, how does the film start? Do you kind of want to kick this off? Holly Hunt has just got remarried. Uh, she has a little girl uh, from her first marriage. And they're, they kind of go to this, like, foreign island. Um, and there are, I guess you would call them, like, native people on it. And um, they're there, I think, to help them build, like, a home front like build houses over there building fences in it and she kind of just moves there like I think she kind of just got married just because maybe she had to be married off she cannot speak she had an incident where she cannot speak and she may never speak again um, she hasn't spoken since her accident and and now 
she basically has come to this new island. And the big thing about her coming is she made them bring her piano. Her piano is everything to her. It's basically life. If she doesn't have her piano, she'd rather be dead. She is obsessed with this thing, um, getting it back to their actual village that they're living in. And this is whenever you're introduced to the other gentleman in the story um, who is living there with the people as well. He is from, I believe, Great Britain or England. And that might actually be the same thing. <laughs> he is from England. And he has, it seems like he's been there for a while with them. And he just kind of helps. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like pretty dry, probably me explaining it. But it is really interesting. Who did she, uh get married to in this film she got married to the guy in jurassic park to the guy you keep in telling jurassic me that. park <laughs> that's right this was the year of sam neill this is the year of sam neill that's uh kind of why i wanted to bring it up sam neill famously is the lead character in jurassic park which came out the same year as the piano and he is one of the central characters in this film so sam neill 1993 he was at his all-time high. Uh, this is his peak. This is his climax in stardom. I I don't think he ever gets close to this ever again. I, you know, he's kind of faded away as an actor. Hasn't done a whole lot. He's done Hen for the Wilder People. He's done a few other smaller films. Um, but The Piano, which is a well-regarded film critically, and Jurassic Park, which is a well-regarded blockbuster. By far, yeah. His closest to ever getting an Oscar. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if he was ever nominated. Yeah, he wasn't nominated for either, so I wouldn't say he was close for an Oscar. Oh, wow. But, you know, both Not these films... No, no, no nomination. I, I just listed off. Were you not listening there? Come on. Always, I always yeah. listen. But, yeah, unfortunately he was not nominated for Sporting Actor. And I, did th I, did, I do think he was really good, you know. Not as good as Jurassic Park, but that's a little tough competition. So, Holly Hunter's character... It's married to Sam Neill. You think that would be a blast, but she hasn't spoken, I believe, since the passing of her first husband, or at least since an incident beforehand. And due to this, really her only way of communicating is obviously through her daughter, who they do sign language th together, and her daughter will then speak on her mother's behalf. Or she has a little notepad that's attached to her necklace. Yep. Which I think is a pretty handy way of uh, carrying around a notepad, especially when you're not talking. It's kind of like she can quickly flip it open and just write down what she's thinking. It's kind of like her, you know, a, a port, you know, she kind of invented the idea of a cell phone. She just kind of walks around with this little tablet, flips it open like a flip phone, tells people what she's thinking. And then her third way of really communicating is through the piano. That's kind of her way of expressing herself in a way of finding inner peace. It really feels like that's when she's her happiest. She literally would do anything, as we find out later on. To be with this piano, it's it's very important to her, and obviously this film, as it is the title. And that is kind of where we get involved with the secondary character here. Uh, you know, uh, this is the only actor I do not really recognize, Harvey Keitel. Let me quickly check if he's done anything. Oh, he's done everything. Uh, he's done I, I don't I don't wow. really recognize him in any of these movies. I'll be honest with you, but. Next, I'm going to watch my favorite film of all time, Green Budapest Hotel. I will keep an eye out for him. Uh, but he's definitely, I don't know. Are we supposed to like him? I don't, but I feel like we're supposed to. Am I wrong in that? I feel like we're supposed to like him, but he comes off very creepy. Oh, he's very creepy, he's yeah. He's so creepy. Yeah, uh, you know, he's, he's not my cup of tea, to say the least. But he gets the piano, he has it at his place, and so he tells Sam Neill... Hey, your wife can come over and teach me lessons on how to play the piano. That way she can be with the piano. That way I get to learn how to play music. Sounds like a win-win. Sam Neill goes, all right, fine. My, my wife really likes the piano. She can play it all she wants. That works for me. Get her out of here. Make her happy. You're going to play your silly music. Uh, sure, whatever. So she's going over there. And we kind of find out that Harvey Keitel might not have the best intentions with Holly Hunter playing this piano. He clearly has a thing for her. You know, she must have caught his eye. I, you know, it wasn't... Might have been love at first sight, but not love at first sound. She, you know, she doesn't speak. 
But she's playing the piano and he kind of, you know, starts to touch her, telling her, hey, if you let me, you know, during these lessons, touch you or do all these creepy sexual things with you, uh, you know, you can have a, one key each time. And when all the keys on the piano are technically yours, that means the piano is yours and you get to keep it. So he's kind of using the piano as a bargaining chip to be with Holly Hunter by force. You know, whether, you know, yeah, you know, that's what we mean by creepy. I'm not the most charming fellow, but, you know, uh, she gets to play on the piano, so it's worth it. So this is kind of how the film starts, and this is essentially the storyline for almost the first half of the movie. We, we really get to... Every time she comes over, she's playing the piano. Maybe he touches her leg, her shoulder, kisses her neck. You know, kind of working his way up. He kind of looks under her dress. Then he kind of progresses to walking around naked. She takes her clothes off. You know, they they slowly start to build it up. It starts to get real creepy, real screwed up around here. I just don't get how she was into this. this. He just comes off so creepy. Like, it's not like he's aggressive, but he's just, like, forcing himself on her. And I don't really, I don't know, understand how she finds that, like, sexy or appealing or anything. And I I feel like I should understand that. Yeah, I was hoping to understand it more on the rewatch because I didn't understand it the first time. And that was my biggest reason why I couldn't really love this movie, as I just couldn't get over this relationship, which you know, light spoiler, uh, if you want to skip ahead 10 seconds, but this is the relationship of the movie. They eventually get together and they eventually fall in love. And it's seemingly supposed to be a happy moment. The end of them being together. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the happiest moment is when she releases the piano into the water. I think that's the best moment of the film, which is also right near the end. But one of the last scenes is her with him, I think it's supposed to be a good thing. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. So she is kind of with Harvey Keitel's character when she's supposed to be married to Sam Neill. It's kind of this wild, you know, love triangle of sorts with her daughter stuck in the middle, having to choose which side, and she doesn't really know what to do because she's a child. And, you know, that's kind of the progress of the film for quite a while. I guess the reason why she might like Harvey Keitel more than Sam Neill's character, Sam Neill's character is very much like, well, you're forced to marry me. This is the relationship, right? Like she asked him for the piano countless times. He wouldn't give it to her. He, he doesn't care. Just leave it on the beach. She shows Harvey Keitel how much she loves the piano and he buys, he like gets the men to bring the piano to his place because he realizes how important it is to her. And of course, he then forces himself upon her. But after the first time they have sex, after they do it once, he feels guilty. He goes, ah, this isn't how I want it to be. I want you to love me for me and not because I'm forcing you with the piano. Take the piano. It's yours. I'm sorry I ever did this. This isn't the way I wanted it to go. It, it, It feels gross. So he gives her the piano. He gives her the freedom of choice. He doesn't force her onto this relationship anymore. While Samuel is still forcing himself on their relationship. So I guess, despite the fact that he does force her at the very beginning of this to get the piano, maybe the message is she found love with him once he gave her the freedom, once he gave her her own voice. When theoretically she didn't have a voice. Literally and theoretically. So I'm guessing that might be it. I'm not too sure. It still doesn't make sense to me because he is very creepy and, you know, very rapey in the very beginning of this movie that I don't really know if that overshines it, but maybe that's just kind of what Holly Hunter's character's thinking at this moment. I don't know, but I thought Sam Neill was, like, a lot more attractive in this film. He seemed like a good guy. Like, yeah, he wasn't giving her everything he wanted, like the piano. Like, but the piano also waited a shit ton. So, like, I kind of see his point. Like, not trying to say he was right because that was like one of her passions. But like, um, Harvey was like creepy, basically like touching her all the time, just like being very inappropriate when he knows she's a married woman and i just 
I didn't find the 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 appeal at all. I don't. I have no idea. But you're probably right. It probably is something um, symbolic. Like since he like let her free, uh, she came back to him. So it was like supposed to be, or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I definitely would have uh, swung the other way if I was Holly Hunter. But she, yeah, she did not. Yeah, well, I don't think any of these guys are likable. I don't like either of them. Really? Yeah, you know. I, I mean, the only great. thing, Sam Neill only gets really shitty at the end, basically because Holly Hunter cheats on him. And, like, he should have just let her go. He didn't need to, like, do what he did, because that's a spoiler. Yeah. Um, But, I don't know. I, I didn't find him that bad until she cheated on him, and then... He, she was caught and he was pissed. Yeah, I do feel like they have him really overreact to make us instantly go, "Oh, just kidding. We're not yeah. te- we're not team Sam Neil. We're we're I team think, Yeah, we're team Harvey." I think that was definitely the point. Like he really overreacted like by fucking like hammering planks into the house so like they can't see out, they can't get out of the house. He was a little uh, psycho. Yeah, and that's like the least terrible thing he did with his overreaction. So yeah, I do think they kind of made him a little over-the-top horrendous with his response to it. So maybe we don't feel as bad about what happened. Because, yeah, you know, she did cheat on him. Wasn't that terrible at the beginning. But, you know, I, I don't think he was the best husband. So, you know, uh, pick your poison, I guess. I do think we're supposed to be rooting for Harvey's character over Sam Neill. I don't really love either. I'm not a big fan of either. I feel like we're already jumping straight to the final... 10 minutes to really discuss what happens afterwards but is there anything else that we want to discuss in regards to most of this film it's a slow burn like we've kind of already discussed the whole relationship building up with him saying he wanted to play the play the piano but he really just wanted to touch her so yeah i think i honestly think we are close to the end after he has like boarded her up in the house and then he finally like realizes i think in his head like that wasn't the right call so he starts taking the planks off so they can actually come outside again and yeah and then you kind of just go back into it where he for like a hot second gives her her freedom but then she does something i don't know stupid i guess i don't know if i would say it was stupid she's just in love with harvey at this point so she takes one of the piano keys and she basically burns into it like I will always love you or you will always have my heart or something like that. And then this is kind of where this little girl is like not my favorite. She's a little shit. Like she did good, but like, but like all little children, I don't know, maybe she saw Sam Neil as her father because like he was her stepfather. And you know, you're told, no, you don't do something. And Sam Neill was like, no, you can't see him anymore. Anyway, so she gives her the piano key. And she wants her to take it to Harvey, but she doesn't want to do that. Yeah. And I know there's a scene that Quentin really likes. He probably wants to talk about it here. What scene? Well, I remember when I'm watching you, we were talking about how, like, there's two different paths. And oh, she just goes, the shot. Yeah, okay. just a shot was really cool. Yeah, it is a good shot, but you already described the scene. She literally has a fork in the road, and she's about to go to Harvey, takes a step back, and takes the other path. So she literally chose the different path on the road to go to Sam Neill. Which is a cool shot. And to be fair, this film has a lot of great shots. I understand why it was nominated for cinematography. But, like, it's a Jane Cambia. She's amazing. Power of the Dog was amazing with the shots as well. Uh, it's just something she's really good at. Yeah. Yeah, Power of the Dog also has fantastic mm-hmm. cinematography. Um, yeah, and both of them are very similar in style. You know, not only are they slow burns and westerns, but, you know, you can definitely tell that she's got her print on both of them. Uh, when this film got nominated for directing, and as we know, she eventually gets nominated and wins for Power of the Dog, and she's the first female director to get more than one nomination ever. And these are the two. So you can definitely give credit where credit's due. This is kind of history here. This is one of the first female nominations, I believe, ever. And this is going to be the first of two for Jane Campion, which is the first ever so far for 
mm-hmm. female directors, which honestly is just pathetic, right? <laughs> the fact that female directors only get one, maybe two, if you're lucky and your name is Jane Campion, uh, and very few have one. Only three female directors have one best directing, and two were in the last two years. Wow. Wow. And, you know, I think Jane Campy is definitely a front runner for female directors. Everything she does, like, to me, I just love. Um, so I'm excited to see what she does come out with next. Yeah, which, to be fair, might take a while. It takes her a while to make these movies. Power of the Dog took her years to make. Um, it's amazing. And so, like, I see why. Yeah, she killed it. I imagine it'll take maybe another four or five years to see another Jane Campion movie. Like, it'll take her quite a bit. But whenever it happens, we are ready. It will be worth it. Yeah. And we'll be ready for her third directing nomination. Inevitably. Because obviously it looks like they're kind of moving in the right path here. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Her second nomination, her second win, second female win in a row. You know, there's already talks about a lot of strong female directing in this year. So who knows? Who knows what else we got down the hole here? But for costume, I kind of wanted to talk about this before we discuss the ending of the movie. It got the nomination. It got the nomination, but I'm kind of shocked it didn't get the win. We haven't seen the film that won, which we're never going to see for this podcast at least. So we'll eventually watch the movie. I actually own it on Blu-ray. And it's The Age of Innocence from Martin Scorsese. Oh, well, I mean, just looking at the cover yeah. of that film, it has great costumes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like the costumes are mm-hmm. fantastic in it. So, you know, a big year for Sam Neill, obviously, with this film and Jurassic Park, but another big year for Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis does In the Name of the Father and Age of Innocence. And Daniel Day-Lewis has only done, like, ten movies, and two came out this year. So, you know. So freaking awesome. Yeah. Big year for our boy DDL. He was the man. Yeah. And, you know, unlike Sam Neill, he got a nomination for the Oscar, Daniel Day-Lewis. So there you go. Does that shock me? No, absolutely not. I don't think he got nominated for Age of Innocence, though. So I don't think they liked that movie for some reason, except for costume, I guess, Uh, which means the costume must be good if they even gave a quick aside of that one, because I don't don't think it got any other wins. But Hmm. for the ending of this movie, um, this is where you could probably skip ahead, I'd say three or four minutes because it's late on spoiler but it does address the theme of the movie and so if you kind of want to go in blind like what i did the first time then probably best to just skip this little bit but at the end of the movie holly hunter eventually leaves with harvey's character the two of them with her daughter go on a boat with a bunch of his guys and they're gonna sail off and she requested there they was, tie the piano on. There was one thing you missed. Whenever the little girl basically narks on her, um, the husband's just like, oh, hell no. And he chops her finger off. That just blew my mind that he was that enraged that he wanted to chop her finger off. I was surprised she didn't die of like blood, blood loss or something. Um, but then the little girl is told to take it to Harvey. And that was just terrifying whenever they opened that napkin up and you just see that finger. It was so freaky. Yeah, this is a normal day for Andrew. She, like, wakes up with, like, a bruise on her leg that's, like, the size of a basketball. And she's like, eh, I don't know what happened to that. If she lost a finger one day, she'd just be like, eh, I don't know what happened. I must have tripped. I think I might. I think I might remember a finger. Mm. The bruises, no, but yeah. Maybe. Well, I'll see it when I believe it. So we'll see what happens when you lose a finger. I'm sure you'll just wake up and be like, eh, Wow. I don't know what happened. They just don't chop it off like Sam Neill. Must have hit, like, the headboard or something. Uh, who knows what happened to the finger. So Holly Hunter leaves with Harvey's character with her daughter. Uh, and they're all going off to sail again. And she's requesting they put the piano on the boat. So they tie the piano on. They're off to sea, and Holly Hunter kind of has this moment of realization that she doesn't want the piano anymore. She's ready to finally let go of the piano, and I interpret this as her finally being happy again, her finally being with her daughter, being with this new guy. She finally feels at peace with these guys. She finally feels like she can let go of the past. The piano kind of being a symbol of her love with her first husband, 
It's really been holding her back. It's been the reason why she doesn't speak. She can't move on from the past. And that piano is kind of a symbol of her first love and who she was in the past. And so finally letting it go in the water, it does drag her down into the sea. Kind of like this weight getting lifted off of her and just piece of her also falling into the water, right? She physically falls in and that's like a piece of her also just being thrown overboard. So they finally bring her back. They go back to land. We finally see her with her husband. She's learning to talk again, learning to move on. But then she says right at the end of the movie that she still keeps thinking of that part of her stuck in the water and the shot of the piano sunk into the bottom with that string that was tied to her and her dead body in the water, as in like a part of her is now dead forever, stuck in the water with the piano. And so, you know, it is a slow burn movie, but goddamn, that last 10 minutes is pretty good. That's a really good ending to this movie. It's exactly how this movie should have ended with her letting go, but still feeling empty and feeling like a part of her is gone because of it. Yeah, maybe it's interpreted in a different way. That's how I viewed that moment at the end. Well, what was your thoughts on the ending, Andrea? So, fun fact. <clears throat> I actually thought she died at the end. <laughs> For some reason, I thought that... When she went into the ocean, I actually, for some reason, thought that was how it ended last time. So I was like, okay, we done. So I interpreted it very different than you. Like, I thought she intentionally put the rope like that. And she, she wanted to go down with her piano. And she just wanted to die in that moment. Yeah, that's true. Uh, to be fair, I do think she intentionally uh, tied it around her. Because yeah. it looked like she did intentionally put her foot there. So maybe you're right. Maybe she did wanted to take her with her she wanted to die with the piano at sea and they saved her and so maybe she's back to feeling trapped i'm not too sure maybe um but the thing is and then it looked like when she went into the water like that is what she wanted she looked really peaceful for her first but then i think she started to panic and then when she started thrashing around and somehow got her foot to come out and come back up like yeah, I, I just thought she wanted to die with her piano. Her yeah. piano was at the bottom of the water, and that's where she wanted to be, was with her piano no matter what. And I think maybe that's why we see the flashback as well. It's like, no matter what, she will always be tied to that piano. And that, like, maybe that's what really should have happened. Yeah. But then maybe in that moment, she didn't want to, like, leave her daughter, leave her new love, and it ended up different. I do think her falling down with the piano uh, was her intent and maybe was what should have happened. I think, honestly, hot, and this might be a hot take, I think that's how it should end. I think she should, they shouldn't have been able to get to her and she should have died down no, there. I just wanted her, her to die. I do. I think that would have been a good ending. It would have been good. I feel like I would have liked that. Most of the time, I don't like endings like that, but just because of how this film was, I thought it made sense. It wouldn't have made sense that there was narration the whole time with her talking, uh, but she died before she learned how to talk again. So the only thing was they would have had to change the narrator. Maybe it could have been her daughter or something. But yeah. That would have been good. It could not have been her if if that's how they ended it. Uh, Speaking of the daughter and speaking of Holly Hunter, uh, both of them did win for lead actress and supporting actress, respectively, for Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin. So what was your thoughts on these wins, Andrew? Obviously, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, they beat out Emma Thompson for both of her nominations over the last two movies. I'm not really necessarily asking you how they compare. We can get get to that, obviously, at the end of the ceremony in a few podcast time. Right. But for the lead actress itself, what was your thoughts on Holly Hunter? Um, She's good. I mean, we made a comment during the movie. Like, she basically had to do nothing. Like, she had to learn no lines. Like, wow, easiest win of all time for the Oscars. I I kind of agree. No, but really, her acting was really strong. And I think that just shows how strong of an actress she is. That her performance was that good. Even without her talking, she could still win the Oscar. I think that really speaks volumes about... um, holly hunter as an actress like you know i'll always remember holly hunter from raising arizona uh it's a great movie the she best. is fantabulous in it fantabulous, right? um yeah i loved her i loved her in that i love nicholas cage in that 
they're like a dynamic dynamic duo and i just think she's a good actress and she can basically do most things that she puts her mind to as for the daughter she was good um i'm a little surprised she won um she was good but like was she that good to actually win the oscar you know i really was digging emma thompson and her role it was very minor in, um, in The Name of the Father. And I don't know what else is nominated yet. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like someone maybe could have gave this little girl a run for her money. Yeah, I agree. Because normally young stars don't do well at the Oscars. This, she's one of the youngest wins. You know, not as young as, I believe, the win for Paper Moon. But she, she's up there. It's one of the youngest wins for an acting category and so you know i don't want to sound too harsh but i kind of was expecting this incredible mind-blowing performance to have such a young actor beat out a lot of more well-recognized more respected stars in hollywood like emma thompson so i, I was shocked that anna paquin came out on top over her after i saw this movie because i was kind of thinking wow she must be mm -hmm. incredible if this is the win right mm -hmm. but I do like the performance. I do think she is really good. I think Holly Hunter's stronger. But I think Anna Paquin, especially for being a young star, need to really hold this movie up because she's doing a lot of the dialogue. She's always with Holly Hunter and she's the one that's communicating her thoughts and her mother's thoughts. And I think her reaction to Holly Hunter's performance throughout the whole film is really good. I think both performances are really strong. I don't necessarily know if both of them are my favorite, but, you know, against the lineup, I guess we haven't seen too many of the films yet for lead actress and supporting actress, but I think it's just as good as the stuff I've seen already. I, I would say it's both very, you know, both fairly strong performances. To be fair, I'm really happy Holly Hunter won an Oscar because, you know, I'm a bit of a Holly Hunter fan. I think she's great. So I'm excited to see her win some stuff. So anything else, Andrea, for the piano before we start wrapping this up? anything else nope nope what would be your storyboard for this film for those that don't know the storyboard is something that popped up in the 1945 year and we have we, we essentially narrowed it down to a quick two to three sentence elevator pitch for this movie andrea what would be your storyboard i think i would definitely put it around the piano so Lady loves her piano. Lady dies with her piano. But then she doesn't. <laughs> oh, whoa. Trick right. chat. So mine would be... So for those of you that did not just see my great performance, because obviously this is an audio podcast, I sign-languaged mine. So, you know, I, I, I did mine in sign language, just like Holly Hunter. He did a butterfly symbol thing. Yeah. I don't know. So we're both on Letterboxd. You can follow us both there. Me at, at Quentin Phillips and Andrea is at Andrea Poop Emoji. You wish. It's Andrea Sloth Emoji now. Sloth Emoji. We're really spicing it up now. So you can follow her yeah. there. We do the Letterboxd scoring of a 0.5 to a 5 star rating. Andrea, what would be your score for the piano? You know, on a rewatch, I don't know. I honestly, I think it would either fall anywhere between um, a three point five at the lowest and a four at the highest for me. I'm not really set on either yet. So on my first watch, I gave it a three point five. And so I went in expecting to like this even more because everybody loves this film. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm still about exactly where I was when I first watched it. I feel like most times I watch a movie for a second time, I kind of go, yeah, I was right the first time. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, I, I, <laughs> I got exactly what I got on my first watch. It hasn't changed too much for me. So this is still going to be a 3.5 for me. A really solid film that, you know, probably isn't my favorite so that is it for the piano we can then move on to 
the next film, The Fugitive. For our second film for this podcast, we have The Fugitive, which is quite a bit different from The Piano, mostly because it's more from the female point of view, you know, female director, female-led, all-star cast here, uh, while on the flip side, we have The Fugitive, which is, you know, men chasing men down the streets, so kind of a different feel. Uh, this podcast is kind of polar opposites, but nevertheless, just as great. Andrew, what was your thoughts on The Fugitive? Yeah, honestly, The Fugitive was so freaking good. I really like it. Like, I mean, adding this on top of this year, I think this year literally knocked it out of the ballpark with Oscar nominees. Um, Because I don't think I've actually seen anything I really hate. And The Fugitive, honestly, it could sit close to the top for me. It was so good. There was so much tension the entire time. Just when you thought Tommy Lee Jones had Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford was always just two steps ahead of him. And it was incredible. It was so freaking good. And literally, this is, I believe, over two hours. But it just, it felt like it went by so fast. I was so shocked uh, at how, what an easy watch this was. Yeah, a lot of chasey, you know, a lot of films that are mostly centered around a great chase, a great cat and mouse kind of storyline, whether it be an action, you know, with action involved. I find those movies tend to start to lose their touch after an hour and 40 minutes. I feel like they kind of start to drag or, you know, all right, let's let's wrap this up. But you're kind of right how this film is over two hours and it never once drags like it constantly keeps going. It starts revealing some twists during the last 30 minutes that really increase the stakes and make it really exciting when we get to the final moments. Overall, a pretty great movie. Not just a great action film, not just a great blockbuster, but a great movie. Similar to E.T., this one's kind of surprising it got nominated. It just feels like it's just a standard blockbuster that I feel like families, you know, I guess maybe the fugitive, not so much families, but you can just hang out with people, have a few drinks and just genuinely have a good movie. You know, the Oscars, they are great films. Uh, I, I love a lot of films that do get nominated. Most of my favorite films do end up getting nominated for the Oscars. So I do like more of the artistic craft that you get from some of these movies. But it's still fun to see films like The Fugitive sneak in here. And it sneaks in here for good reason. It is kind of a standout for that kind of genre. Definitely kind of one of those genre movies that's a real action-y flick that I think is really great. Whether it be Harrison Ford or Tommy Lee Jones, I think the performances are just a little better than most action movies, right? Like, you know, it's not like it's Tommy Lee Jones' most impressive role to date or it's not like it's harrison ford's most impressive role which you know maybe it is uh Andrew and i might figure that out here today but as a whole i think it's a pretty fun film it's just a great time and even though it's over two hours it feels like it's a quick watch it feels like mm-hmm. you can throw it on and it just flies by so before we get into really the story of the fugitive we can quickly talk about its success during that oscar night it was nominated for cinematography, for editing, for score, for sound, and for sound effects. It lost all of these categories, including Best Picture. What? So a lot of technical nominations, yeah. which is kind of what you would have assumed with this movie. It won one award, though. Do you want to guess what that award was? Oh, my God. Please tell me it was an acting award, because I think they were such good performances. I'm probably not, but what was it? It's for supporting actor. Woo! Tommy Lee Jones won an Oscar for this movie. Oh my movie. god, Tommy Lee Jones is an Oscar? I had no fucking idea. Wow. Yeah, I knew he won an Oscar. I did not realize I, it was for The Fugitive. I'm actually like really surprised. He's not your typical Oscar winning guy. Yeah. He's more like fast paced action thrillers. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of shocking. I like that. Well, Tommy Lee Jones has done a lot of Oscar roles. Like, he was in No Country for Old Men, which was a huge film at the Oscars, and he's incredible in it. So he does 
do some of those smarter roles. But The Fugitive is just such a hammy, fun, supporting acting role. You know, we watched this together. You saw me react to this guy. I thought he was phenomenal. I thought he was genuinely hilarious and clever, and he was always one step behind Harrison Ford. He's just, he's really he good. He's just the biggest hard ass, also smart ass ever. Yeah, he's really, really good. I was really hoping he was going to get a nomination. I was telling you, I was like, man, yeah. this is a worthy nomination. He's just this good. I did not think wow. he was going to win. I never. I thought maybe he would get the nod. So I'm that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'm kind of excited he snagged this. I think it was well-deserved. Him and Harrison Ford were amazing. And didn't you say Harrison Ford didn't even get nominated? Yeah, didn't even get nominated. Wow. He's... Harrison Ford, just, he's a cool guy. Yeah. I know Harrison Ford has never won an Oscar. I don't... Wow. Yeah, I know for sure. I don't know if he's ever been nominated. That's the question I don't know. I thought this might have been the one he got nominated, but unfortunately he did not, which is kind of surprising. Like, he's the reason why the movie's so good. He he carried, like, legit. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones was literally, once again, two steps behind him, but I thought he was phenomenal. He's just, like, such a cool guy. He's, you know, like, I'd want to hang out with this guy. He seems like a fun dude, just super laid back. Yeah, Harrison Ford has the perfect balance of super suave, badass guy and just this lovable hero. Yeah, you just love him no matter what. I think I was telling Quentin that, I mean, I haven't seen him in a ton of roles, but every role I see him in, I'm just like, God, I love that guy. He's so freaking good at like everything he does. Yeah, Harrison Ford just has that charm. I've always been a sucker for Harrison Ford. You're right. You're right. It, it, it is the charm that Harrison Ford has. I really liked it, even with Aliens and Cowboys. <laughs> Harrison Ford is kind of on the same wavelength as some other actors. Maybe it be Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt, where I think they just are so naturally charming. Uh, even George Clooney. I feel like we don't see that many films with him. But I throw him there, too, where they're just naturally charming. No matter who they play, even if they're supposed to kind of be the bad guy, they still have that charm to them that just makes them so much fun to watch. Uh, Well, 1993, this was the year that had Groundhog Day, and Tom Hanks turned it down because he said he just has that natural, charming personality that viewers wouldn't dislike, and the lead character has to be dislikable. Like Some of these actors are just too charming for their own good. And Harrison Ford's kind of one of them. I'm surprised that unlike Brad Pitt and Tom Hanks and even George Clooney, uh, he's Tom uh, Harrison Ford has never gotten any Academy love. He's he's one of the few big legacy actors that has never gotten the big trophy. Wow, wow, and he definitely deserves it. Yeah, I think I've heard that him and Will Smith were the two that never got a win, and that just changed this year, obviously, since Will Smith has won. So really, Harrison Ford's one of the only huge legendary actors that I think hasn't won yet. So, you know, will it happen with Indiana Jones 5? Probably not. Uh, Would you say The Fugitive would be your favorite Harrison Ford performance? I already told you after we watched it. Yeah, I thought he was phenomenal in it. He was literally just so freaking good. His wife dies in this, and he just—he is a man that is heartbroken, and he has his heart on his sleeve, and he is determined to figure out who took his his love away from him. It was so good. He literally embodied his character. Yeah, I know I asked you before, but we got to do it on the podcast. You know, this is good content here. You're killing me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, this might be one of his best performances. I think personally, I always got a soft spot for Rage of the Lost Ark, one of my favorite blockbusters of all time. So I think that's his best performance. But this is, this is up there. It's shocking he didn't get nominated. We can jump into the movie discussion itself. I, I am shocked. Got an acting win altogether, though. This is very much, well, I was going to say a technical achievement. It's really not. Like, this is just a fun cat and mouse kind of film, a very fun thriller. Can he get away? Can we figure out who actually murdered his wife? The film is basically just Harrison Ford, who is blamed for the murder of his wife. 
Uh, which, you know, uh, makes sense. He kind of breaks into, he, he enters the house. There was no forced entry. She's on the phone, says he's still in the apartment. He's still there. And then she says her husband's name. That's because her husband sees the killer, who is a one-armed, with a prosthetic mm -hmm. arm attached to him, who runs away after murdering her. And so he is blamed, thrown into the car, sent to jail, but he ends up escaping through a pretty crazy explosion action scene between a train running into the bus. He gets out, escapes, and the hunt begins between him and Tommy Lean Jones. Tom, you know, Jones is trying to catch him while Ford is trying to not only survive and not get caught, but also trying to figure out who it was that murdered his wife. Andrea, what was it about this movie that kind of made you love it? There, there was so much. Like, the, like, I actually did enjoy the chase. The chase was amazing. We've already kind of talked about both of the lead characters. But each in their own, like, they were great. You could slowly see Tommy Lee starting to believe Harrison Ford's character. And that's what I liked. I liked that you get this awesome scene of Harrison Ford jumping. I don't know if it's down the Hoover Dam or what it is, but this crazy dive. And everyone's like, he's dead. There's no way. And Tommy Lee's like, no, he's alive. <laughs> no one believes him. And then, of course, he pops back up. And just the entire chase. And the fact that he, Harrison Ford is so good at, like, changing his appearance, his look, that no one really realizes who he is or, like, where he's came from. And he's working in these hospitals. Just completely blows my mind. And then, on top of that, he saves a little boy's life. <laughs> it's crazy. Insane. Honestly, I love the whole thing. There's not one thing I can really exactly pinpoint. Yeah, it does get cheesy at times, like Andrew said. He's literally, like, trying to escape, and he still has to stop and save a little boy's life. Like, oh, well, oh the papers are wrong here. Let, let, let me quickly jump in here and help. Like, Harrison Ford is about as heroic as he could be in this movie. Like, it, he, he doesn't exist. Like, this, he seems a little fake. Like, you can't even really hate him. No. Like, there wasn't any minute where I thought he actually murdered his wife. Yeah. Like, there was just no way in hell. He loved her too much, and he was just so, so damn likable the entire time doing shit like that. Yeah. And to be fair, I'm glad that we never once think that he murdered the wife. Like, every movie that's like this of... Did the husband do it or did the wife do it? And they always inevitably don't or, or do. You know, I guess there's some movies where they do kind of have a hand in it. But for the most part, when it's this kind of setup, they didn't do it. It was this other person. They were right all along. Uh, but they kind of try to have the audience question it. In this movie, we know he didn't do it. So the question is, how the hell is he going to figure out how someone else did it? Right? Like, how in the world is he going to start piecing this together? And that's what a lot of this movie is, is how the hell is this guy going to fucking do it, right? Like, the question isn't, yeah. it did he fucking do it? It's, well, he's going to, but how the hell is he going to? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, mm -hmm. I, there was at least five times, at least, where I sat there going, how the hell is he getting out of this one? Like, the cops got him surrounded. Tommy Lee Jones is right on his trail. He's caught him. He's dead to rights, and he still somehow snuck past it. Like, it's mm -hmm. kind of crazy. And that's kind of the genius of the writing. This doesn't get best screenplay, which makes sense. It's not a, you know, a heavy dialogue film. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not the piano or anything. Oh. Um, but it is surprising that this movie is constantly surprising me, not because, oh, he secretly did it. We, we know he mm -hmm. did it, but we don't know how he gets out of this situation, how he's going to figure out who did it. And obviously the last 30 minutes uh, has a couple of twists that I definitely didn't see coming. And I normally can kind of tell if there's a surprise villain or a, a surprise twist. I don't know if it's because I wasn't really <laughs> expecting that for The Fugitive. We're going to talk about his homeboy. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, I'm trying to keep a little light Whoa. on spoilers here. <laughs> but I, I don't know if it's because it is The Fugitive and I thought, ah, this is just a cat and mouse chase, right? Like, they, they, mm -hmm. you know, it's a standard 
run from point A to point B. Uh, maybe I wasn't ready to kind of be very surprised by the turn of events in this movie. But at the same time, I do think the script is very clever at, you know, holding their cards close to their chest. We don't really see what's going on until we need to. And once we start to see it, it makes so much sense. So the film is very smart with a lot of its, you know, you know, it's it's more layered than just a straight run from point A to point B, figure out who got, you know, who murdered the wife. It's, uh, you know, maybe that's why it's in the top five nominations here. It, it, it's a very clever story. Check it out with the family. Uh, I, I think it's a pretty, you know, I, I think it's a pretty enjoyable film to watch as a whole. So we'll try not to get too spoiler specific here. Can Harrison Ford get out of this? Can he figure out who killed his wife? Spoiler, it's not him. Pick that up pretty quickly. So, Andrew, is there anything else really about the story that you want to talk about? Because it's one of those movies that is, as a whole, still pretty generic. I do love how pretty much everybody that has ever interacted with Harrison Ford is just really good friends with him. Like, everybody fucking loves this guy. When he comes back to Chicago... Uh, and Tommy Lee Jones is interviewing every person that has ever interacted with Harrison Ford. They're like, oh, well, hey, you know, I don't, like they're backing him up. They're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. They're kind of <laughs> tight lipped. It's great. It's it's so funny to see pretty much everybody that interacts with this guy. I love him, which makes sense. You know, uh, as we're watching this, you've heard us already talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a very charismatic guy. I don't blame anybody for wanting to stick their necks out for good old Ford there. Uh, was there anything else about this movie, Andrew, that you really liked? You know, I think I think we really, really nailed it. I just think everyone should watch it if we're not going to give any, any, really any spoilers out because it's definitely worth the watch. Yeah. Uh, do you think Tommy Lee Jones is a good winner here for supporting actor? This is not the traditional um, win you would see for a supporting actor. You know, last Oscar year that we discussed, the Best Supporting Actor winner was in the Best Picture winner itself, Deer Hunter, with Christopher Walken. So it is quite a bit of a difference in performances, right? Like such an intense, layered role with Christopher Walken. And in this movie, it's just like Tommy Lee Jones just being fucking badass. You know, I I would have to see who he was up against, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, he was really good. Like, and I just, I can't take that away from him. Just everything he did. I loved his character. And I loved his team that he had with him. And he was just so freaking hilarious with him. Like, he just did not care. Yeah, so I just quickly checked who was nominated. One we will be discussing in two weeks' time for Schindler's List, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then another nominee was from In the Name of the Father. It was The Father. Oh, my God. He was so good, too. I loved him. God bless his soul. Yeah. And see, this is kind of a great comparison. That's a normal supporting actor win, right? Like like a very emotional character that is kind of an emotional crux to the film. He's literally the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this one is kind of Tommy Lee Jones just being hilarious. Like he's really fun in this movie. This might be one of his most fun performances. I think Tommy Lee Jones is really funny. Like you said, when he jumped off the dam, and they're all like, oh, well, he's for sure dead, right? And Tommy Lee Jones is like, well, then it should be easy to find the body. That's his response to it. And they're yeah. like, come on, Tommy Lee Jones. Nobody could survive that. He'd be fish food. And Tommy Lee Jones goes, oh, yeah, well, you go fish up the fish and dig him out. <laughs> that was so funny. Like, that's just his response. He's like, I'm not stopping till I see the body. Like, I don't trust this guy. I love it. And then there was there was there, this comical scene where uh, Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee are, you think they're on the same stairwell at first, but they're both walking down opposite stairwells and they're going to connect eventually. And he, he kind of turns around and he sees him and the chase is on. But like just how he was in that scene was just hilarious. Yeah, it was a bit of a double take. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also love how... When he first meets Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford yells, I didn't kill my wife. And Tommy Lee Jones just goes, I don't care. That's it. He doesn't care. 
Nothing. He does, he's not here for the conversation. Yeah. No. Yeah, Tommy Jones is really, really he good. He has a job to do, and that's how Tommy Lee Jones cares about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really surprising this is a movie that got the Best Picture nomination. Um, and I kind of assumed it would be five super artsy nominations, and that's why Jurassic Park didn't get in the Best Picture lineup for this year. But that's not the case. One of these five films, The Fugitive, is kind of like Jurassic Park. It's just a really fun action movie. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of surprising that The Fugitive is here with seven nominations, one win, and Jurassic mm -hmm. Park got, I think, two nominations and no nomination for Best Picture. So, you know, it's, I, I kind of just thought, oh, well, the Academy's so stuck up by 1993. They, they wouldn't nominate Jurassic Park, but they, they could have. Like, they gave it to The Fugitive. Uh, it's just some movies kind of win them over and some don't. And The Fugitive was one of these that I think it's just so likable to have these two lead characters. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think The Fugitive is just one of those movies that's just really, really fun. Um, so one of the nominations it did get was for cinematography. What was your thoughts on that nomination? I think that's interesting. I don't really think this is a film for cinematography. Um, I think it's more for editing. I thought the editing was really good. Did you get nominated um, for that? Yeah, you said that. But the, like, I'm trying to remember like, what kind of shots, like what did we see? And the only thing I can remember is the shot of the dam was actually pretty nice. And, I mean, we got some shots of the city that were nice as well. But other than that, I don't remember a ton. Yeah, the only shot that I specifically remember being really clever was Harrison Ford running away with Tommy Lee Jones' gun in the dam. Yeah. And then when Tommy Lee Jones has that second gun, he pulls out the strap and then whips the gun out. And the shot just like shows like the hand fling out with the gun in its hand to mm -hmm. show that he has a second gun. That was a pretty cool shot. That, 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 that was pretty nice. I, I liked that. In the middle of an action scene, that was really fun. Um, but yeah, I think that's what's interesting about this. When you look at each nomination specifically, is The Fugitive really this technically um, incredible? Not really, but it's just such a great time that you don't care, right? Like, it's just so much fun. Like, another nomination here is for score. Did you like the score for this movie? I don't really remember it. <laughs> like, I feel like they definitely had some fun music or some fun background music whenever, like, they were doing their little chases. But nothing really sticks out in my head. Yeah, I actually remember... During some of the action moments, there was some really fun moments with the score. But as a whole, you know, it is pretty good. I, I do like the score. I don't know if it's top five, but, you know, um, teach their own. Yeah. All I'm going to say is Jurassic Park better have won best score. That's all I'm going to say. I, wow. don't, I don't think it got nominated, but it, it should have won. Uh, and speaking of editing, I'm glad you point out the editing because I think the editing is one of the best parts of the movie. I actually think mm -hmm. the editing is really, really good. I think that's what makes the film feel so fast paced and so exciting for over two hours is the editing so quick, but so clean. Like, you know exactly what's going on. One of my favorite moments is when Tommy Lee Jones is chasing Harrison Ford through the parade. And you have a shot of Tommy Lee Jones looking behind him, trying to find Harrison Ford. And then it cuts to Harrison Ford looking behind him and then looking forward. And it was just like a really cool way of using the framing of them looking for each other, playing into that cat and mouse kind of chase in the parade. Like the editing is really fun in this. So I, I think that's probably one of the most impressive elements of this movie, aside from just... You know, all the actors being at their A game. Everyone's having a good time here. Um, yeah, overall pretty good film. Uh, anything else about these nominations, Andrew, that you think should be touched on? No, not really. It just This isn't your typical Oscar film, and that's, I think, what also makes it so great that it's just put in with all these really Oscar-baity films, and then you have this just, like, one standout, which is The Fugitive. And I, I think it definitely, it can definitely stand its ground. I like that it was put in with, like, all these other nominees. Yeah, and it feels very different in contrast to The Piano, yeah. 
uh, in the in the same podcast here we have the piano and then right after we have the fugitive and they feel very different so. yeah the piano one of the top 100 films from the 1990s according to a lot of online lists um a very well technical film one of the most imp- some incredible active performances with holly hunter etc uh, and then the fugitive just a just a really fun movie I, I love how different they are um and that's kind of what makes this year very fun every film here is really good in totally different ways it, it doesn't feel like we're watching the same movie every time yeah no completely agree so, Andrea, for The Fugitive, what is your storyboard for this film? Um, let's see. I think I'll go with something like Man's Accused of Murder, but Man Proves Everyone Wrong. Something simple. Something I like simple. it. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> uh, mine would be Harrison Ford Didn't Kill His Wife. And Tommy Lee Jones, don't care. I <laughs> love that. So that is everything for The Fugitive. And that's everything for all of the nominees for the 1993 Oscars that lost. We will be discussing Schindler's List in two weeks' time. But before we leave, on our letterbox, we give out our scores from a 0.5 to a 5. And Andrew, what would be your score for The Fugitive? God, I literally have no idea. I didn't even think about it, but I really liked it. So I think it is, it at least deserves a four. Yeah, I'm kind of in between two scores right now. It's a four or a four point five. It's exactly. at least a four. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm you know I might change by the time I release my review for this movie in a week. But yeah, I don't know what I'm leaning towards right now. Whenever I review this, hmm. I'm leaning towards a 4.5 for now because I really, really liked it. Uh, I wonder if I'm still going to feel this excitement for it by the time I finally post my score for it. Maybe I'll end up being a 4 when I do. But yeah, I'm right around there in the ballpark. It's a really great film. So that's everything on our end, guys. Have a great day. Bye.